Hello and welcome to Search for Truth, your regular in-depth Bible teaching program. I'm John Martin and thanks for tuning in. I was watching my granddaughter Lily, who's six years old, the other day. Uh, she was doing a, a jigsaw puzzle and uh, she held each piece in front of the picture on the box to see where it fitted in. And it made me think how helpful it is in life if we can see each part in context, that is, where it fits into the whole scheme of things. We often hear the phrase, seeing the bigger picture, don't we? And in this series, Brown will take in turn five great precepts of the Christian faith and see where each one fits in the picture on the box, as it were, the picture being both the historic and the scriptural setting. So Brian's called his series Five Sacred Solos. Can you tell us more, Brian? Sure, John, I'll try. Let me try to explain to you what this series of Five Sacred Solos is all about. The title refers to five things that stand alone. Not just things, but five great truths or teachings. They were discovered, or should I say rediscovered, at the time known as the Reformation period in Europe. So we're talking in the main about the 16th century. A renewed interest in the study of the Bible had brought these truths to light. The first and fundamental truth was then known as sola scriptura, or scripture alone, whereby the word scripture, the Bible, is meant. The Bible as the word of God. For centuries before this point in time, the clergy, or churchmen, had claimed to have authority in spiritual matters over the laity, or ordinary folk. When these ordinary people attended church services, they weren't expected to try to understand the Bible for themselves. They were told that that was too difficult. The Bible wasn't even available to them in a language in which they could understand it. And so, of course, they were totally dependent upon the professional churchmen to interpret its meaning for them. This was a time of spiritual darkness. But as in the very beginning, God was at work to bring light out of darkness. He raised up those who at that time were determined at all costs to bring God's word, the Bible, to the common people in a way in which they could understand it in their own language. This was the Reformation, and as we see, it began with the Bible once again becoming accessible to all. This allowed any previously accepted church tradition to be directly tested against the Bible's plain teaching. The watchword, or key phrase then, was sola scriptura, in the old Latin language, or in other words, nothing but the Bible. If any religious practice was not found to be supported by the Bible, it was thrown out. Our spiritual welfare, or even our spiritual destiny, cannot be made to be dependent on what any particular man or church institution teaches, but is solely dependent on what the Bible teaches. As Martin Luther famously declared when he stood before kings, cardinals and councils, My conscience is captive to the word of God. Here I stand, I can do no other. For him, what the word of God said was all that mattered. He'd be bound by it, despite what any other earthly authority might say. That was Luther's heroic faith, and it sets the true standard. If we place any church tradition above the Bible's plain teaching, then we're denying the great motto of the Reformation. Let's remind ourselves of it once again. It was sola scriptura, or scripture alone. 
An example of people who lived by that rule is found in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, where we meet people who received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. We were thinking a moment ago about Luther when he said his conscience was bound to the word of God. Really, he was only saying exactly what the prophet Isaiah had said earlier, as recorded in the Bible itself when he said, to the law and to the testimony. Because both the words law and testimony there refer to the word of God, meaning the part of the Bible that was available to God's people at that earlier stage of history. The full quote from Isaiah goes like this. It's chapter 8 and verse 19. When they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. Most people want to know the future. Others want some assurance regarding someone who's passed on. Recently, a woman I was chatting with when handing out Christian literature, a woman who would have described herself as a Christian, seemed oblivious to the error of spiritualism. Long ago, even God's people in Judah were pulled into the pagan practice of consulting mediums and spiritists who specialised in trying to contact the dead. Isaiah pointed out the absurdity of going to the dead to find out the future instead of inquiring of the living God. The place to look was in the law and the testimony, which contained everything the nation needed to know about her future. A person's failure to pay appropriate attention to God's word means he or she has no spiritual light. Now, Perhaps you're very clear about the error of consulting mediums, but there are more subtle ways of undermining the absolute authority of God's word, the Bible. For example, there are those who claim their prophetic utterances carry the same weight as the Bible. But only the Bible is God's authoritative revelation to us. No less than 3,808 times, the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, contains the expression, the Lord says, before going on to give some particular message. In the original recording, this expression introduces the exact words of God himself. There's nothing comparable to that today. The Christian faith, that unique authoritative revelation from God, was delivered by God once and for all, Jude tells us. And please note that the expression the Lord says is characteristic of the whole of Scripture inasmuch as God's superintendence reached down to the actual choice of the very words themselves. Every word in the original writings was inspired or literally God-breathed. This really points up the double nature of the Bible, both its human and divine sides. The human authors of the 66 books those recognised as making up the complete Bible, were drawn from various different walks of life. But behind all they wrote was the divine author, not simply putting thoughts into their minds, but actually clothing these thoughts in words. You see, the prophet might have only been partially enlightened as to the meaning of God's message, but the words he was caused to say or write were fully inspired and didn't in any degree depend on the writer's level of understanding. 
Sometimes we hear the objection that the Bible writers seem to have been glorified typing machines. But it couldn't have been that way at all. Why not? Because they each had their own style of writing. And so we come to associate people like the Apostle John, for example, with the theme of love, noticing that light, life and truth are words he often uses. The explanation for these very real differences of style seems to be that God accommodated his message to the temperament and personality of the different human instrument he chose to use. Take Luke, for example. He tells us at the beginning of his gospel that he'd done a lot of careful research and interviewing before he put his own gospel version of events together. It was painstaking work, the work of a true historian, yet at the same time it was research that was superintended by God himself. We've already said that the Bible is God's word, that it doesn't only contain it. It's worth revisiting that point to also underline the fact that the Bible is inspired on all the topics it expresses itself upon. We'd be quite entitled to question its spiritual message if the Bible could be proved anywhere to be historically untrustworthy. I'm sure we've all heard people say that there are errors in the Bible. Usually, those people tend not to be very well informed. Those of us who love our Bibles as God's Word know that the English translations we have are just that, translations from the original languages. What's more, they are translations of ancient manuscripts, which are themselves copies, for the original writings of the Bible are no longer in existence. What that means is that there's certainly been scope for human errors to have crept in. However, on this very practical side of things, there's much, much more evidence for the Bible we have today being genuinely authentic to the original, more evidence than exists to authenticate any other piece of ancient literature. Even when different manuscripts are used as a basis for translating the Bible, there's still overwhelming agreement. Points of difference occur, but they don't cast doubt on any of the Bible's teaching. Our Bible is something we can have confidence in as being God's Word, His Word to us. So we have in our possession this collection of 66 authoritative books which we call the Bible. But have you ever wondered if there shouldn't maybe be only 65, or even should there be 67 books? If so, it's a very reasonable question. But it's good for us to realise that the Lord Jesus put his seal on the Old Testament as it was already compiled at the time when he was here. The 39 books, as we count them, were the scriptures he used here on earth. And he spoke of them as a complete whole, referring to all the things relating to himself in the writings of Moses and all the prophets. In the case of the New Testament, the writers were apostles or their close associates, and they reference and endorse each other's writings so that we have important cross-checks. The Bible alone is the only authority for the Christian faith. Let's remember that's what sola scriptura means.
The hymn we've just heard is like a prayer, asking Jesus, He, the light of the world and the word of God, to teach us how to read the Bible. May we its riches, power and depth, its holiness discern, its joyful news of saving grace by blessed experience learn. Thus may thy word be dearer still and studied more each day, and as it richly dwells within, thyself in it display. Now again, there's a free transcript booklet available for the series. If you'd like one or more for group study, please get in touch and you can add any questions or comments you might have. To obtain the free book, ask for the title Five Sacred Solos and you can contact us at Search for Truth, PO Box 111, Lee, spelt L-E-I-G-H and the postcode is WN71WJ, England. Now, if you'd rather use email, the address is sft at churchesofgod.info. You might also be interested to access other programmes and helpful material on our website, and you can find it at www.searchfortruth.org.uk. So many thanks for being with us. We trust you found the talk helpful. Do please join us again next week, if you're able to, and Brian will talk about Sola Fide, or faith alone. In the meantime, it's very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, studio technician David, our singers and me, John Martin. Thanks for listening and may God richly bless you. Amen.